If you're anything like me, you spent your childhood assuming that one day you'd meet your Prince Charming. You'd get married, you'd have a nice house in the suburbs, a dog, a career, and a couple of kids. It never crossed your mind that Prince Charming wouldn't come along, or that tragically you'd lose him before his time, or that your marriage wouldn't work out, or even that your biological clock would have other ideas. Or maybe you never really wanted that sort of happily ever after. Maybe you never wanted a man, but you did know you always wanted children. We're living in an age where for the first time, women can embrace motherhood on their own terms. They no longer have to put their lives on hold waiting for the right man, or settling for someone who they know isn't right for them, just so they can become a mother. More women than ever before are embarking on the journey to become what's known as a solo mother by choice. And while for a lot of us it doesn't feel like a choice, but more a necessity, the bottom line is there are now options for you to be able to fulfill your dreams of motherhood if the traditional route isn't playing out as expected. The No Need for Prince Charming podcast will share stories of Australian women who have successfully become solo mothers by choice. They each have a unique story as to why they decided to pursue motherhood in this way and the journey they had to go through to make this dream a reality. The hope is that by sharing these stories, you'll have the knowledge and the confidence to embark on this amazing journey yourself if you determine it's the right one for you. In the words of Walt Disney, all of our dreams can come true if we have the courage to pursue them. All you need is faith, trust, and a little bit of pixie dust. In today's episode of the podcast, I'm doing something a little bit different. I'm speaking with Catherine, who has a now almost one-year-old named Hallie. The first time I met with her, though, she was still pregnant. We talked through her journey to getting pregnant and how she was feeling looming into motherhood. I then caught up with her for part two, where we talk about what life is actually like and what her transition was like into working mum life as well. So I hope you enjoy this two-part episode. So for everyone listening, we're doing something a little bit different in today's episode. Um, Catherine actually does not have her baby yet. So we thought we'd have a chat, um, get her story about how she got to this point and then catch up with her later on. So the second half of the episode will actually be once she's got the baby and see how things change and how um, her expectations and if it actually matches up with reality. So I guess, Catherine, it would be really great to start with um, your story of why you decided to become a solo mum by choice and what led to that. Sure. Um, I think I've I've looked at so many other people's stories and crap, like tried to just see, I guess, how they got to this point of deciding that they were going to go down this path. Um, and I don't really know because a lot of people are like, oh, when did you decide that you were going to do this? And I don't really know when, but I just remember having a conversation with my sister at, at our gym one day in a, um, one of the classes and it just came up randomly. She was actually pregnant with her first and she was like, well, have you ever thought about, you know, like IVF or donors? And I was like, oh, I have, but I actually thought it was way out of my league, um, I guess, cost-wise. And I just parked the idea. Um, she works at one of our local hospitals. She goes, I don't actually think you, you know just how achievable it is. Um, and that kind of got me thinking this is probably about three years ago. And so yeah. I went home and researched as you do. And then it was one of those things that once it was in my mind, that was it. Um, I was like, oh, I actually can do this. And, yeah, I guess rest is kind of history, really. It just snowballed from there. Um, yeah, and I guess like a lot of people, I'm one of those, once once an idea is in my head, that's it. <laughs> it's there to stay and I've got to do something about it. So, I think yeah, that's uh, quite yeah. a common trait with a lot of solo yeah. mums by Joyce. So they're going to think you need to be yeah. that way to stick it out. So how old were you, do you think, when you had that conversation with your sister and made that? I would have been about 33, 34. Yeah. Um, 
yeah and then it was one of those ones that it kind of took a little while to get things rolling um because obviously thinking that it was way out of my my league I didn't have anything set up in terms of um like savings plans or private health insurance or anything like that I had no idea what I needed to do or even who the clinics were in our state um I think luckily for me my mum had actually worked at one of the fertility clinics here in Adelaide um in their finance um section so she kind of I knew that they existed and um who they were but um I didn't know just how many options there were in Adelaide at the time um so I kind of toddled off to my GP and was like this is what I want to do what do I do now um and I didn't realize but um she'd been down a very similar path um so it was kind of I was just I was blown away walking out of that initial consult and she was like here are some clinics um I'm not going to tell you who I went for but you do like basically a cold call to all the clinics and have a have a think about what you what you want from a clinic um I had no idea (laughs) Um, that was daunting in itself and so I just basically yeah I cold called the clinics and one I got a really bad vibe from Um, I actually ended up I think it was the first clinic I called and I hung up in tears because they were just um, I think I wasn't the run of the new IVF patient I guess for them and it wasn't their usual business Um, and then the next two that I called were amazing but one stood out like the nurse I spoke to was just there was no judgment there was no issue she basically like the conversation was if this happens every day um and I, I think in my life I don't I I knew one other person that had done something similar they actually did it through their own means so they did it at home right. they didn't go through a clinic so this was brand new but yeah this nurse just kind of put me at ease and was just like this is what you need to do this is what you need from your GP um once you've got the information give us a call back and we go from there so it kind of yeah, it just fell into place, really. And I guess in hindsight now you know how much time you end up spending at that clinic, so it is so important oh, yeah. that you find one that you you click with. Imagine if you'd gone with that first yeah. one. They had left you in tears every yeah. time. Yeah, oh, exactly awful. right. And, yeah, you, you're exactly right. The amount of time um, you do spend at that clinic and the amount of, I guess, support you draw on from them, mm. um, that basically, like, to a, to a point, the journey is in their hands because they – help you with medication and dosages and timing and you I, I felt like you kind of just almost give give yourself to them basically and just like make this happen for me <laughs> like you're like I, <laughs> yeah in like in a way I guess I, I tried to be as involved as I could and I guess educate myself as much as I can but at the end of the day they know the science um mm. that's their job so yeah lucky for me then like the the clinic all the staff were and are amazing even up till now so yeah and so did you have any trouble when you went in there what was the plan that you went through to get pregnant was it a short or long journey or it feels long (laughs) um I think again it's something can't help but compare to other people's stories so for me it felt really long and it felt really hard I think it does for everyone um so I had my initial appointment with my fertility specialist and because I didn't have private health at the time, the idea was we were just going to run all the tests possible, see where I stood. Um, my AMH levels were quite low for my mm-hmm. age. Um, I 
never really, I didn't really know anything about it. I had no idea what the tests we were doing. I was just like, yeah, sure, do whatever you need to. That's fine. Um, so, yeah, my levels, my egg reserve is quite low for my age. Um, and to start with until my private health kicked in, the idea was just to do um, basically a um, egg har- harvest just to see what we got yeah. um, and freeze the, the eggs um, for fertilisation later. Um, so I started with that and my first, the first surgery, I think we managed to get three eggs collected. I had no idea if that was good or not. Um, yeah. And then I started joining the online Facebook, Facebook groups and stuff like that. And I realised, like, oh, that's actually really low. Yeah. <laughs> um, it can be a blessing in a curse, okay, those groups so, found it. Oh, yeah. Sometimes too much information is not, not helpful at all. Um, so I think that was April and then that was April 20. 19 and then private health finally kicked in in August um, and literally the day after private health kicked in I was in hospital doing collection again (laughs) Um, because we just managed to time it really well Um, so that one again similar numbers collected we did fertilize this time using um, donor sperm so Mm -hmm. I chose to do um, use the international donor program Um, I figured my clinic had one local donor um, and I don't know anyone, like, I don't know if people know Adelaide, but Adelaide is tiny and you know everyone basically. That's what it so you probably like. know the donor in. somehow. <laughs> yeah, um, I just didn't want to run the risk of, I guess, future children running into their donor um, without knowing or having that kind of connection. So I chose international. So what was that process? Because here in Victoria at my clinic, it wasn't an option to even consider international. Ah. So what did you have to go through for that? Um, so there was a mandatory counselling process. Um, so you had to do two sessions with a clinic counsellor. And I think my initial headspace was, oh, counselling, they're going to basically drill me for information to see if I'm, you know, emotionally stable, if I'm okay to have kids, if I'm okay to do this process. Um, it was nothing like that. And I actually really enjoyed the session. So the counsellor was amazing. And it was basically just a chat to kind of talk about options, how the donor program works, how to pick a donor, um, what support network I have. Mm-hmm. Um, and, yeah, you do the two sessions and apparently in those two sessions they basically just they can just sign off to make sure that you're okay and you understand the process. Um, towards the end of the first session, the counsellor had said, oh, we've got a bit of time left in our session maybe what I'll do is I'll just run through some example profiles for you. And then next, like what I'll do is before the next session, I'll email you three. So apparently they only email you three at a time. So you're not overwhelmed. Okay. Um, and apparently most people pick their donor from the first three profiles they're sent. Um, I thought that was a bit of a, bit of a joke. I was like, no one can pick. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, this, that's like, you guys are full of crap. Um, <laughs> but the counselor read out two profiles Um and we hadn't really talked about what I was looking for in a donor. I had no idea. Um, I just was like, oh, I figure if something comes up, something comes up, we'll see how it go. Um, I wasn't overly in a rush, but was keen to kind of get things moving. Um, obviously, my fertility specialist had said sooner rather than later because your egg reserve is so low, so you don't have a lot of time. Yeah. Um, enough to scare you into doing things really fast. 
Um, so yeah, the counselor had read the first profile and I was like, oh yeah, okay, that's that's a general gist of information. You actually get quite a lot of information. I'm not sure about local donors. I didn't go down that that path, but I felt like there was a lot of information um, provided. And so then when she read out the second profile, um, you also get to see like a little picture of the donor um, anywhere from the age of sort of 18 months to six or seven, oh, wow. um, but nothing older. So you obviously um, but she read out the second profile and just going through information, I was like, oh, I really like what I'm hearing. And it was more because of the fact like this donor's cultural heritage was very similar to my parents and my family. Um, like his reasons for donating just seemed like I really loved it. He was basically talking about how um, he he wanted to be a donor so that he could help people that couldn't have children of their own. I was like, that's that's really cool. Yeah. Um, and then I think the clincher was she showed me the photo down the bottom and it was um, a, obviously a boy that is at the time he was about two and a half, three and when I looked at the photo, I was like, oh, he could pass as a family member. Oh. Um, so he had very similar features to my sister and I at the same age. And I was like, that's interesting because obviously not knowing the donor as your child grows up, you don't really know like the features and stuff like that. Yeah. So to me, I was like, oh, this, this, if I go with this donor, my child's not going to kind of look out of place in my family. It probably sounds very vain. <laughs> but, no, um, no, no, I completely get it. Yeah, so I think um, in that session, I basically said to the counsellor, I was like, can I have, can I do, can I have that donor? And she was like, what? Um, I said, can I have that one? And she was like, what do you mean? I said, I, I think I found my donor. She was like, these are example profiles. Like, are they not based on real ones? And she was like, oh, well, that, they are, but I wasn't, like, you know, I wasn't expecting you to make a decision. That's not what today was about. And I was like, no, but I think I have. And I think if you give me more choices, I'm just going to get more confused. Yeah. Um, so her response was, oh, I'll talk to the, the clinic and see if this donor is available. And if he is, I'll send his profile to you before our next meeting with two others so you can obviously consider the others. I was like, yeah, yeah, sure. Um, and as soon as so I had, a, you have to have two weeks between your um, your donor counselling sessions. So I was a nervous 13-day wait. <laughs> I feel like I've had the you should two get used to wait those. many yeah. times. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> um, and luckily enough, he the donor was available and his profile was sent through and I read the others just to kind of, I guess, confirm for myself. I sent them to my parents and to my sister and um, they, interestingly enough, chose a different donor. I didn't ch- tell them who I'd chosen, but they chose my second choice. Okay. Um, and, yeah, I don't, I don't know. It's... It's, it was just, I can't, it's really hard to explain, but it was one of those, like, when you know, you know. Yeah. Um, and, yeah, that's how I chose the donor. So you said yeah. that your parents had a look as well. So they were fully on board from the beginning, were they? Yes. What was their response when you told yeah. them that you go down this path? Um, I think I had just come home from that gym session with my sister. Um, I was having dinner at my mum and dad's house, as I did after. Like, that was like a, a ritual kind of thing back then. Um, and I had in my head, I think on the way home from the gym, decided that's what I was going to do. Um, and I just, I think I had a mouthful of food and I just blurted it out to them and just sat, cause I was literally sitting between the two of them. And it was one of those, 
um, I didn't know how they were going to react or what their thoughts would be at all. My sister was like, no, no, they'll be fine. Like they'll, they'll fully support it. Um, you know, that they'll, anything you choose to do, they'll, they'll be behind you. Um, and I remember clear as day, my dad leapt up from the table and wrapped me in the big, biggest bear, bear hug and just, I just burst into tears. Um, and mum was just like, right, this is happening. And I was like, and we're all good with all of that. And they're both like, yep, yeah, whatever you decide. So I'm oh, really lucky awesome. my family have been on board the whole way. Yeah. First cycle was a no-go. Like the HCG didn't even register on a blood test. So yeah. that one was cancelled. That one didn't work. My next one did take. Um, and I think for me that was, I found that cycle out of all of them the hardest. So that cycle took. Um, and I had a low, so when you, you obviously do, everyone talks about the two-week wait, um, yeah. probably the most nerve-wracking time for everyone. Um, so did my two-week wait over here in Adelaide. We were, for that cycle, we're in the middle of a lockdown, one of our first mm. lockdowns. Yeah. Um, so I wasn't even sure if I was going to be allowed out of the house to go and do my blood test, but luckily we were. Um, so HCG for that blood test came back low but positive. So the nurses were like, just be you know, cautiously optimistic. We'll see how we go. We'll retest again in a couple of days. Um, retested in a couple of days and they're like, oh, it's risen, but it hasn't doubled. So yeah. again, something I learned along the way is your HCG is meant to double quite quickly if it's a um, successful pregnancy. Um, so it hadn't doubled, but it had risen. So I had to go back again for another blood test. Um, the next blood test, they were like, oh, it's not good. Um, you're still registering HCG in your system, but it's unlikely that it's going to continue. So expect expect to miscarry. Mm. But no worries. Well, not no worries, but you know, okay, um, all good there. So um, I had what I thought was a miscarriage um, and had seen my fertility specialist and was already talking about, you know, what are our next options? When can I go again? Yeah. Um, I was then on. Uh, what did I end up on? Twice weekly appointments for a bit just to do doing bloods every couple of days just to make sure my HCG was dropping. When I went back in, I think it was my fourth or fifth blood test, um, I got a phone call from one of the nurses and she was like, we're really, we're really not sure what's happening, but your HCG has risen. And I was like, oh, but I've, like, I've miscarried. Like I had a bleed. Like it's, there's yeah. nothing there. Um, She's like, yeah, we're not sure what's happening. So can you come back in in two days and we'll test again? No worries. Um, so I went back in and my levels were rising um, and they were low, but they were like, we suspect what's happened is you actually ended up, um, the embryo that we transferred split and you were carrying twins. One's come away, but the other is trying to continue. I was like, oh, okay. Oh, okay. <laughs> um, and I don't know that anyone else is specialist. I haven't seen. I've only had the one specialist the whole way. But every transfer, he will read. He's 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 good. He gives you. I or for me, it was good. He gives you numbers and percentages and stuff like that. And so every transfer, he would give me you know the likelihood that it would take. Um, and every time he'd be like, you know, one in four chance of twins. That's just the IVF risk. And I was like, oh yeah, that's you know not going to happen. That's fine. Please don't mind. Um, and all, all of a sudden, I was like, yeah. All of a sudden, I was like, oh. That was, that was one of the one in fours. Okay, no worries. Um, I ended up really quite unwell with that, um, that cycle. Ended up in hospital twice just from fainting episodes that we just couldn't work out. 
mm. what was going on. Um, so I think that round I got to the, it was over Christmas and New Year's. Um, so my clinic was, well, my specialist was away. Um, so he wasn't around to kind of oversee and handle everything. Basically, it came down to the pregnancy wasn't, from his point of view, the pregnancy wasn't viable because my HCG wasn't rising. Being Christmas time, he wasn't around to do, his recommendation was basically to go in and have a DNC. Um, By that point, I think I was seven, I was seven weeks pregnant with that cycle and he'd done an ultrasound prior to going away to say, "There's there's a sack we can see but we can't see anything inside they're actually worried it was ectopic because I had been so unwell um and I basically got sent to so I think it was seven weeks that was all done he decided he'd gone away that following week so week eight I got sent to our local um, women's hospital um because of the dates and the fact that it was IVF they weren't prepared to make the call to um I guess approve a dnc really um so they sent me yeah it was, it was and this was i think this was the 23rd of december when all of this happened so this was right before christmas um and so they were like oh you need to go to this place and have a scan we need it confirmed from our end we can't just take your specialist point of view because we've obviously now taken over the care yeah so I had a scan um this place decided yep it's not viable went back to this hospital and they were like, oh, we'd really like you just to go back in for another scan in a week's time just to make sure because they're like, you know, termination is is serious. And I was like, yeah, okay. Um, I That time had been hovering between, oh, like don't give up hope. It's potentially still, still taking and still growing yeah. and things are still happening. It's not over until it's over. Um, and then I'd kind of go, no, I think, you know, it's not going to work. I need to prepare myself and all of that. It's kind of really stuff. hard so, when you've gone through so much to get to that point, though, to not hold on to those tiny yeah. little bits of hope that, you know, it might just work exactly out. Maybe right. they're right. Yeah. 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 But it really, like, I mean, IVF messes with you, I think. Like, I, I went into it so naive. I was like, nah, nah, there'll be no symptoms. I'll be fine. I'll just, you know, trudge on like normal. <laughs> yeah. Famous last words. Um, so, yeah, basically I ended up in like, back at our local women's hospital on New Year's Eve um, and had a DNC on New Year's Eve. Um, and I found, I found that really hard being that that was how I was going to finish the year and basically start a new year having just yeah. lost a pregnancy. And, uh, yeah, um, I have, like, it was... It was not not great, as anyone that's been through that or even that hasn't been through that can potentially imagine. Um, but, yeah, so then that was round number two. Um, the following year, so then it must have been all the years blend. My goodness, COVID's oh, not COVID does for not what year was what. <laughs> <laughs> um, but basically my next attempt, um, so once my specialist was back from leave, I could get in pretty quickly Again, they were just testing to make sure that HCG levels were back to zero. They dropped pretty quickly. Um, so I guess in one way I was lucky that things kind of went back to normal for my body. Yeah. Um, so meeting with my specialist, the next idea was, or my next my next path. So because I'd done two rounds, I had 
um, embryos that were in the freezer. Mm-hmm. Um, and again, I'm not sure on other states' rules, but here in Adelaide, you can't have you can have two frozen embryos. You can't have any more than two, um, yeah, unless you've got. Yeah, so and I didn't know that was a thing either. I just thought you just kind of kept going through cycles and you could freeze embryos if you got them um, as many times as you needed. But apparently over here, unless you've got a medical reason, so like you're going through early menopause or cancer or something like that, you actually can't keep creating what they call potential life. So you can only have two right. store, um, embryos stored. So I mean, it could be a I thing think here. I, I just had... never went through it, so... Yeah, and I I'd never I'd never looked into that because I didn't think I didn't think it was going to you know in my head I was like oh yeah one round will be done be mm-hmm. um, again famous last words um, so because I had three embryos in the freezer my next option was rather than doing a fresh round I had to do a frozen cycle yeah um, so we started medication for all of that um, my body just did not respond went into my first scan thinking where they like they obviously check your lining and check your hormone levels to you know kind of see where you are in your cycle and when transfer might be um and walking away like in hindsight the nurses were a bit sketchy right (laughs) um they kind of asked how I was feeling and I was just like oh yeah a bit bloated I think I don't really know um but my body had done absolutely nothing with the medication so they tripled my dosage um because obviously what they try and do is link your cycle dates with um the age of the embryo that they're going to transfer so that it's as natural as possible yeah um so i got to a couple of days before what would be transfer date and they were just like your body's not responded sorry we've got to can and they, they were like we've got to cancel the cycle um and that that was really that was really hard because I was like I've done everything you've told me to do I'm on vitamins I'm doing acupuncture I'm doing yoga I'm doing everything you've said I'm pumping my body full of hormones and I still can't get there Um, and that's your first cycle past your loss as well where you just want to exactly right yeah and I was like well I managed to get pregnant last cycle so obviously my body knows what to do it just couldn't kind of hold on to it for whatever reason um so when in you know cautiously hopeful that this would just this was the the round um so then had a chat with my my specialist again he decided or he together decided that um we would try for cycle four Mm -hmm. um essentially but what we would do is if somewhere between cycle three and cycle four we had talked about possibly doing some exploratory surgery to see if there was anything going on um just just to rule it out so he ended up putting me on um the same medication for the frozen cycle I repeated that three times so I did my frozen cycle that was cancelled and then I had three I guess what we call passive rounds where we were aiming to get to transfer but it wasn't likely that we were it was just you know if if we managed to get there we would transfer um I didn't get there for those three either. So they were just kind of ones to, I guess, what he was trying to do was build up my lining because my lining is always the issue. Um, yeah. It's not quite thick enough. So I did the frozen cycle that was cancelled and then I did three more frozen medication rounds. On the third round of that, I went in and had um, 
laparoscopy, hysteroscopy, the poppy seed flush, um, and they just kind of did a check and they did a biopsy of my lining just to see yeah. um, what they could find. Um, they found nothing. It all came <laughs> back fine. Of course it did. <laughs> um, because I'd had surgery, I then had to wait uh, at least four weeks um, for recovery and they also then wanted you to have like a, a, a period in between that time to just have a bleed to clear everything out. Yeah, so he did the surgery. That was all fine. Um, recovered from that pretty well. And then uh, June, July last year, so 2021, managed to get to the point where I was ready to go through it again. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think by that point, I was just like, let's just get this show on the road and just keep going. Um, lots of people had asked me if I had a number in my head of how many cycles I'd be prepared to do. Yeah. And I realised I'd never kind of put a number on it I was like no I just keep going until I get a child like till I can have a baby <laughs> um failure is not an option it sounds like for you exactly right exactly right life, yeah and I'd already gone through you know I was like okay this course it's quite expensive um, I was like where am I going to find this money from if I need to keep doing multiple rounds so I I was already working full-time so I took on weekend work um oh, wow. to make it all work so but yeah so then went into my that cycle so technically lucky number seven um and that cycle we again we had just had a snap lockdown in Adelaide um I was like oh well last last lockdown that we had here it technically worked let's see if this is a good good sign um I was pretty convinced um oh I guess and I should double back to actually that cycle so the last one I did um I was actually allowed to, so my fertility specialist actually went into bat for me and said that because my egg reserve is so low, he actually went to the medical board on my behalf um, and asked for permission to do fresh cycles because I don't respond to frozen. Um, so that gets away from that said, the frozen embryo rule that you talked about earlier. Oh, exactly right, right yeah. exactly right, because I'd asked on my call, I'm still over the number of, you know, legal um embryos that I could have and he goes no I think we've proven that we've given this a red hot crack and frozen cycles aren't for you um and he goes and if you potentially want future children after you you know fall pregnant then we should give you the best option and have some in storage for you and I was like sounds great (laughs) you definitely Um, picked a good one by the sounds which is so important yeah he he he's amazing um he I guess he's one that he worked me out very quickly and realized just how much information was right to give me and how much to withhold Um, or not withhold, but, you know, what was relevant to share and what wasn't. Um, So, yeah, we went into this one because the other option was to do, I guess, the medication for a fresh cycle but not actually collect the eggs, just um, let the eggs, like collect the eggs but then just destroy them and then transfer a frozen embryo. Okay. Um, But... I wasn't keen given my low egg reserve. I was like, that's just, to me, that's just a waste. Um, If they're healthy eggs, then why can't we use them? I think just discarding them is, I don't want to do that. Um, And so, yeah, he went into that for me and he got approval to do that, which was great. Um, So, yeah, did that round. Um, Numbers-wise, it all becomes a numbers game, but numbers-wise, that was my best cycle. Mm -hmm. Um, I was averaging four eggs for the past 
two fresh rounds and this time I got 15. Wow. Um, Massive difference. Yeah, and massive. And it was one of those ones where, um, and I think both clinics do it when you do go in for egg collection, you, while you're still in, um, mostly while you're still asleep, while you're still in recovery, they write the number of eggs that they've been able to collect on your hand. So the first yeah. thing you do when you wake up is check your hands. Yep. Um, I had, like, I was just waking up as they were obviously starting to write the number of my hands and I had felt them write the one and I just was like, oh, that was crap. That was really bad. And then I just passed out from the anesthetic again. And that was, I woke up again, you know, a little bit later, I was like, oh, okay, that was bad. That was one. And I remember looking at my hand and there was 15 written on there. And I remember calling the nurse over. I go, oh, you guys have made a mistake. Like, I never get this many numbers. What's going on? And she was like, mate, it's it's right. We, we checked it. Um, didn't believe her. So she actually went and got the piece of paper from the surgery <laughs> and showed me. And yeah. I'm hopeless with anesthetic because it is like I'm a crier and a vomiter and I just burst into tears and that was that. Um so I guess your next challenge once you've done your collection is you wait for the clinic to call you the next day with fertilisation results. Um, of the 15, 11 were able. So I did ICSI, which is a bit of a, bit, and again, something I didn't realise. Um, I thought IVF was IVF. So I've done ICSI, which is basically where they inject a single sperm into an egg. Um, it's meant to increase the success rate, be a bit nicer, a bit gentler on the eggs. Yeah. Whereas IVF, obviously, they put the egg in the sperm in a dish and they, they do it themselves. Um, so of the 15, 11 were able to be fertilised, um, but one of those didn't survive the fertilisation process. So I was down to 10. Um, and then I, the clinic I'm through, they don't actually give you any more updates after that. You don't hear any more until transfer day. Okay. Um, so I went into transfer day four four days later five days later um and four had survived to that point or to the day before sorry and when at the point of transfer I had two embryos that had survived one was um really really like doing really well the other one was a little bit behind but they were hoping to give it another day and it would catch up um, and then be frozen so that wasn't the case I ended up transferring one and the other one didn't survive to go to the freezer um and like everyone I guess on this journey says it only takes one and it did so that one took um and that little one is due in the next month or so (laughs) so exciting wow what a road that you've been on to get to this point though yeah it's it's pretty full-on it's not until I think uh like, I don't know if it has properly hit. Like, every now and then you kind of catch yourself and you're like, oh, goodness, that's what it's taken to get here. Um, you know, that's that's a lot. And I think I didn't kind of let myself take on or think about the emotional side of it until well, I actually don't even know if I properly have. Yeah. <laughs> um, it was just one of those that I knew what, I knew what the end goal was and I was prepared to do whatever it took to get there. So it's only a couple more weeks to go. What do you yeah. think it's going to be like? Because it will be really interesting to reflect on that when we catch up after you've had her. What are you looking yeah, forward to? Um, oh, just being able to meet her. Um, 
and you know having hopefully just having it all fall into place that she's actually going to be here um after such a long time trying for it but you know I guess people go through this for years and years and years on end um I guess in a way lucky that mine was two years but it still feels like a lifetime um so yeah just looking forward to meeting her and I guess settling into the like new life really um finding out who she is and who she grows to be as a person and um how we're alike or how we're different um and just I guess supporting whatever it is she wants to do um (laughs) hopefully she sleeps (laughs) and feeds okay um yeah I don't know I think I think I'm going to find it quite challenging I'm quite a routine based person um and I you know i I'm not very good at sitting still, um, so we'll see how we go. I, like you know, you know in your head that it's going to be a big adjustment bringing a new baby into your life. But I don't think, I don't know. There's any way I can prepare myself for just how big those adjustments are. Um, it's not like my friends' kids where it cries and I can hand them back. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, I don't know. I think um, I guess my next, the next little bit we're trying to work out is so Bob's is currently sitting. Um, breach so her head is right under my tummy with a little bottom down the bottom um my appointment next week is my 36 week appointment and if she hasn't turned by then um where the obstetrician is talking about possibly uh, manually turning her but yeah. i'm not overly keen because it brings on contractions and not overly keen on going into labor that early um so possibly a c-section on the cards which I don't mind um, as long as she comes out and she's okay. Obviously, that changes your recovery a little bit. But, um, yeah, I don't know. It's just all of those things that you, I guess, think about and dream about before you fall or while you're pregnant and before you fall pregnant about, you know, what kindy are they going to go to? What school are they going to go to? Who are they going to be? What are they going to be when they grow up? What's she going to look like? What colours are hair going to be? Just that stuff. I just, I, 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 someday I just feel so impatient because I just want to know what the answer is. <laughs> <laughs> I'm hanging out to take mine to Disneyland, so I think I've got like eight years to go, but I'm just, I'm already planning it. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, I get it. Same, best place. <laughs> so I guess looking back now, is there any advice you would give anyone who's about to go through this journey about things that maybe you wish you'd done differently or known before you started? I think my biggest piece of advice is find a fertility clinic and specialist that you gel with. Um, For me, that was the most important thing. Um, I did consider changing clinics because I was just getting fed up that it wasn't working. Um, And I didn't realise, and one of the other things for people to think about is it takes time or it can take time to be prepared. Um, And you can't rush the process. Um, you're basically just waiting for your body to respond and do what it needs to. Um, and for some people that happens like clockwork for me, it doesn't, yeah. um, you know, all of my cycles were delayed essentially every time because I, I don't, which I'd never realized I'd been on the pill since I was 19. Um, apparently when I'm off the pill, I don't get a period. No. So that was another hurdle. Yeah. And I, like, oh, I didn't even know that about myself. Yeah. yeah. So I was put on the pill for, um, either 10 to 12 days every cycle just to bring on a period so that that was the start of my cycle and they could track things. So that that really confused me. It felt counter, like 
counterproductive when you're trying to have a baby that you get put on the pill. Um, ask questions, like ask why certain medications are used and what the alternatives are. Ask about the, like they'll tell you side effects, but ask about side effects. That's really important. Um, just, uh, I guess it's different for everyone, but one of my things going into this was I refused to quit until I got what I I got the end result I wanted. And I know not everyone has that luxury because I know I know it's expensive and I know it's hard. It can be heartbreaking. It's it takes a toll on you emotionally and physically and mentally. It takes everything. Um, it's 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 full on, I think. And that's one thing that as much research and preparation as you do, you can't prepare yourself. I don't think, in my experience, I couldn't prepare myself for just how full on um, and how draining and how much it takes from in all aspects of life. It just, yeah, I was naive and I was like, no, 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 I'll carry on. I'll be fine. It won't change who I am. It, it does. <laughs> it's very all-consuming, yes. It yeah. is. It is. And it almost becomes an obsession that you're like, I just want to have a baby and I will do whatever it takes to get there. Um, but yeah, it's, yeah, I would, having a support network around you is really important. Um, I found the online support in terms of like other single mums going through this or other people choosing to go through this journey, really helpful. Um, here in South Australia, there is a South Australian based IVF group. Mm -hmm. um so it's not just for single mums it's actually for just anyone going through IVF and it's partners as well so you've male and female in there um I found that interesting because everyone compares like medication stories and experiences with their fertility specialists and their clinics um so I found that helpful to know and just people would ask questions that you just didn't think of um so but at the same time I also muted some of them um at different points on the journey because I just couldn't handle the information Um, I just needed a break because it was consuming so well I think we'll leave it there today and we're going to catch up with you again when you've got probably about a three to six month old or something and we'll see how it's going and what reality is actually like for you so yeah pause for now (laughs) and um we will chat soon so some time has passed and now I have a very special guest back with me so someone who has relatively new addition as well So what has happened since we last talked? Last time you were pregnant, now you're a mum of what, an almost one-year-old? Yeah, so Hallie will be one in about three weeks. Um, Kind of feels like she's been here forever, but at the same time I feel like I've blinked and she's one. Yeah. Yeah, so very different to when I saw you last or spoke to you last time. Um, I think you were pregnant and you were just... I kind of, I think you had ideas of what you thought mum life would be, but how did the the end of the pregnancy go? And let's say starting out into newborn life. Yeah, so end of pregnancy was still fairly cruisy. Um, so I was really lucky. I had a really, I thought, well, I think a very easy pregnancy, no sickness. Um, had a bit of a, I guess, a scare at thirty five weeks, where I had a day where I couldn't feel Hallie. Mm. Um, and my trick when I was kind of checking in to make sure things were okay with her before she was born was I'd actually go down and go and lay on my tummy because I could then kind of squish her into place and she didn't like it so she'd move around. Um, and this particular day I did that a few times and I still couldn't get her to move. And I was like, oh, oh here we go, something's mm. wrong. Um, and I think I probably spent a lot of my pregnancy quite anxious that something, it felt too good to be true, I think, that something was going to go wrong. Um so I remember like, I called the hospital that I was 
booked to have her out and they they were so lovely. They said, I'll make your way in and we'll we'll, we'll check you out. Um, and I, I remember that day I'd been having lots of Braxton Hicks and I was like, oh, that's uncomfortable, but we'll see how we go. Anyway, went in with my mum, got hooked up to the machine. <laughs> One of the midwives came in and she goes, oh, you're having contractions. I was like, uh, um, yeah, okay. She goes, are you in labour? I was like, oh. Aren't you the expert? <laughs> yeah, I'm like, I don't know, am I? <laughs> and she goes, well, you're talking and you're fine. I said, well, they're not painful. They're just really tight. Anyway, on the machine, um, Hallie was moving and kicking up a storm. She was fine. And I was just having um, pretty intense Braxton Hicks, they, they say said they were. Um, so I guess the Braxton Hicks were happening and then I couldn't feel Hallie moving. So I think we stayed in for about an hour or so and got sent home because Hallie was fine. And they basically said, oh, you're 35 weeks. We'll see you in about a week or two. <laughs> right. um, at that stage, Hallie was breech and not showing signs of turning. Um, my obstetrician had offered to turn her. And I don't know what it was. I had just decided I felt really uncomfortable with the idea and something I was just like, nah, we're not turning her. I don't like, I just, no, we're not doing it. Um, turns out that was Really good call. So Hallie was, I was booked in for a C-section at 39 weeks. Um, it went really smoothly. It was fine. Um, she came out and oh, she, oh, I don't know, she's instant. I just remember the moment she came out, I, I looked at her and I just, I knew she was mine. Yeah. Um, I just, yeah, I've never, I don't think, I, I can't compare that feeling to anything else. I just looked at her and I was like, I know who you are. Of course, it was you. <laughs> um, Been waiting for you all this time. Yeah, and she, oh, I just remember sitting there staring at her. While, like she was still, her umbilical cord was still connected. Um, just that moment, and I was just like, wow, far out. Here we go for the rest. Of, here's the rest of our life. Um, but yeah, in the like, turned out luckily she wasn't tried to. Be, didn't try to turn her. She had like a lip in her placenta which her head was kind of put like in like a pocket, I guess. So if they had to try and turn, if they had to try and turn, oh, I can't talk now, if they had have tried to turn her, um, potentially would have caused a lot of damage and bleeding. Um, so it was lucky we went in for that C-section. <laughs> um, but, yeah, straightforward delivery. Um, she was an absolute trooper. She just, she just took to life like a, pro I remember laying in hospital the first couple of nights and you could hear other babies screaming on the ward and I, I remember a midwife coming in and I'm like is when's mine gonna do that <laughs> <laughs> um she was just so chilled and just I just think I still am still like just in awe of her and I'm like oh, she just yeah she was um, so oh I haven't really thought about it little coming back now um yeah just this tiny little thing um that just she did everything she needed to. She took to a bottle so well, like she slept. She loved having a bath. Um, Mum was with me as my support person and she was amazing. Like I didn't have to ask of anything of her. She just kind of knew what to do. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, and then so C-section. So I was in hospital. I was booked to stay in for five nights and I think the night before I came home, my blood pressure was really high um, and the nurse was like, have you got a headache? I was like, yeah, but I'm really tired, haven't slept for a couple of days, like just staring at this baby. <laughs> um, and they called my obstetrician, I ended up on medication for high blood pressure 
and then ended up going home as normal. That was fine. Um, the, a week later, I'd had, um, I guess, direction from my doctor to just check in um, with the, at the clinic to just get my blood pressure checked. Did that and they were like, uh, it's really high. <laughs> you actually need to go to hospital now. Um, you're at risk of stroke. <laughs> That's how high it was. I was like, oh cool, I've got a thumping headache and have had a week, I had a migraine, I just didn't think anything of it. Um, so Hallie and I ended up back at the hospital that I delivered at and luckily she was able to come in as a boarder with me. So she stayed in overnight. I think we ended up getting in, we went in at about 8 o'clock, got up to the ward, it was about midnight and we stayed, did not sleep very well because it was quite scary. Um, but I guess long story short, ended up under an endocrinologist got it all sorted, took about a month, but blood pressure came down. Um, I don't know why. <laughs> um, they did all the testing for preeclampsia post-delivery, but that was all negative. So it was just one of those things. Just one of those things. Um, so I think that first month, I think it probably is for most people anyway, that first month was just a bit of a blur of just feeling quite crappy, I think. Um, just the headaches were next level. I'd never, never experienced anything like like the headaches I had um just yeah back and forth with appointments making sure that my blood pressure was okay obviously appointments for Hallie as a newborn um which so she was fine with me with the C-section, you couldn't drive or anything did, so did you have someone helping you out with all of that yeah so mom stayed with us for the first couple of weeks at our place which was great um and then I reckon it was about Easter that we I can't remember there was a reason why I can't remember what it was in that blur but we end up going back to mum and dad's place for a couple of weeks mm-hmm. um and mum was pretty adamant um mum kind of went into nurse mode and was just like you, you're not going home by yourself until your blood pressure's under control Sounds um crazy. yeah and I I think there was a bit of a whisper between the doctors and her to say I shouldn't be by myself until it's under control I wasn't aware of that but things you learn later mm-hmm. um but yeah finally I think we got all that under control we came home and it just I remember coming home on the first night by myself and being quite teary. I was the same when I came home from hospital. When we left that day, I was just like, you're just going to let me leave with a baby? Um, <laughs> such a weird thought, isn't it? Is that I'm now responsible yeah. you, you trust me with this? Yeah, okay. like, do you want my police checks or anything to make sure I'm okay? Like, <laughs> yeah. I just walked. I remember um, Dad came to pick Mum and I up and I, I held it together, but I was just, I remember being, feeling really, really fragile because I was like, I you're in a hospital and it's all controlled, like people come and bring you meals. You, you, All you have to do is solely look after this little baby and someone else kind of looks after you. And I was like, I'm going home and this support network, I guess, in terms of the hospital network is gone. Um, but mum, mum was amazing. Um, but, yeah, anyway, we came home and we settled in and it was just like Hallie had been here forever. Um, she just... She is, I feel lucky, she's, I think, an easy baby. Um, she, yeah, so chill, just a happy little thing that just kind of goes goes with the flow. Um, so, yeah, the first couple, like, it just flew by. Just And I think I just lost hours and hours and hours just watching her because <laughs> I was like, I don't know what else to do, but you just, such a time waster, like the best time waster I've ever, ever experienced. Um but yeah, and I guess in terms of what I was expecting, 
I think, and this is probably <laughs> this is probably a bit controversial. I think I thought it was going to be harder than what it was. Um, I was expecting, like everyone has said, like you're not going to sleep, you're not going to have time to do anything, you're going to have this baby that just cries all the time. She was a gem, and we, I'm, I'm, I thrive on routine, so I'm quite good. I'm much better at knowing when things are happening and why and having a plan. And luckily for me, she just slotted into that. <laughs> um, she found her groove pretty quick. Um, she was generally a pretty good sleeper. So by about five and a half, six weeks, she was sleeping really good stretches. So she would put herself to bed or be ready to go to sleep at 10 past nine every night. <laughs> and she was sleeping till about 6.30 in the morning. You had a unicorn uh, baby, didn't you? Yeah, I did. <laughs> Very lucky. Um, I think that helped in the first couple of months knowing that I, like I was sleeping, made the biggest difference. Um, and then we hit the four-month sleep regression. How <laughs> was that? <laughs> that was horrible. Um, she then decided that she was going to wake up every, oh, I think it was every three hours um, and fight sleep and even when she was asleep, she was making noises and crying out and just, it was ridiculous. It was ridiculous. I was like, what the heck is this? I'm like, oh, this is newborn life. <laughs> um, so I think that lasted probably four to six weeks and I was wrecked. And I, I think we we went to mum and dad's a couple of nights because I was like, I just need just need someone there. <laughs> You're really lucky to have been so close by, aren't you? And yeah. Oh, it's it's been amazing. Like they are such a good support. Um. Yeah, and then I think it's true what they say that like babies change their sleep habits every month. <laughs> Very true. Um. I think we were we came out of the four month sleep regression and we were good. So probably from about five and a half six months, I was like, right, we're kind of over that. What's next? And we were good until she hit eight months and then she decided she was going to uh, wake every two hours, uh, if not more often, and not nap during the day. And I was just like, what the heck is this? Um, and she was cranky. <laughs> and I was cranky and I'm hopeless on no sleep. Um but again, it's one of those things, and I think the best saying I had during that time, or this actually this whole time, this two will pass. Yeah, yeah. Um, and it was just a reminder, and I kind of got into the headspace of, you know what, you're on maternity leave. That's what this is for. Um, your time is to ride the waves of no sleep and sickness. Oh my god, I'll go back to that in a minute. Sickness far out. Um, yeah, I think the sleep. I've always been on the cusp of, oh, do I get a sleep consultant in or do we just write it out? Yeah. I've gone down the path. We've just written it out. Um, I figure I've learnt who Hallie is and I know her best and she just, sometimes she just, she has a crappy night, as all babies do, has a crappy night's sleep. We write it out and we've so far we've survived, which is <laughs> almost fun. We got the there. Phase. Yeah. yeah, but um. Yeah, I think we, I don't I don't really know what is typical for other people and what other people's experiences are, but we had a really, really rough first probably nine months of sickness for Hallie. So we had, I was in hospital for that first, the first week after having her and then we were okay. Um, Hallie got enterovirus at 
three months old. Mm-hmm. Um, I'd never heard of it. <laughs> um, so she, I thought it was hand, foot and mouth, essentially. Um, my niece had it. So she had brought it home from childcare. Um, and my niece is a very affectionate little lady um, and she was besotted with Hallie. It was really gorgeous to watch. So she was always kissing her and touching her and just wanting to be around her. She um, had cooties. Mm. Yeah, and we didn't know, but she had, uh, it, well, she potentially had enterovirus or hand, foot and mouth, either one. Anyway, Hallie got it and we ended up in hospital for a week. Um, yeah, because she started out with the mouth blisters and then just would not eat. She had a temp and then we ended up going into hospital. She ended up with a nasogastric tube because she wouldn't eat and because she was so little, she was just at risk of dehydration really quickly. Um, they were a bit worried about day two of admission because she ended up with a non-blanching rash. So they thought she had meningitis. So it was a new mum and it was in the middle of COVID, so in by myself. <laughs> Mum could come in for a little bit, but um, that was it. There was no one else that could come in. Um, But, again, we rode that one out and as quick as she got sick, she got better to the point that the day that they said we could go home, I remember the nurse pulled the tape off of her NG tube and Hallie just (laughs) ripped it out herself. I was just like, "Ah, take that. Yep, Yep, bye, guys. Um, And I think that was kind of our downward spiral for sickness. So after that she ended up with cold after cold after just bugs um we had an ambulance ride on my birthday because she had rsb and she wasn't breathing very well um yeah so uh, i kind of feel like we have been through the ringer with sickness but come out the other side and i look back on it and i'm just like it's amazing what you can do and get through when you have no other choice yeah um do you think everything you went through to get it probably helped with your resilience for all Definitely. of that as well? Yeah. yeah, yeah. I think all of that just kind of showed that you, if you want something to a point, you, yeah, I like to get to her with IVF, I I didn't have a number of rounds in mind. I basically was going until I had a baby um, and then Hallie came along. And I think, yeah, I think exactly that, knowing what I'd gone through to get to her um nothing else mattered really and she was when she was so unwell all that mattered was being with her and making sure that she was okay and the rest of the world could wait <laughs> was basically what how it ended up but yeah so now she is a almost walking talking almost one-year-old one-year-old and you're back at work already aren't you I am back at work. So I went back when she was almost 10 months. I think I've been back around almost eight weeks. Um, so I, yeah, I think that was a big change. Um, I had put Hallie into childcare a day a week, the t- sort of school term before I went back to work, which uh, in hindsight I would probably change. I wouldn't send her just a day. I'd probably either... I'd put her in for two days. Um, I think for her, she went a day and then the long gap in between going back again, she was kind of like just not building that connection. Forgot what um, thing was that she went to, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And so that that's probably something I would change in hindsight is having her in probably two days, um, consecutive days would 
would have been better but with, there was just no space at the childcare center um and I think I wasn't ready <laughs> I think she was but I wasn't ready to let her go um so she ended up going in so she's now three days at childcare and she spends a day a week with my mum and dad um who also look after my niece the same day um and so she ended up doing three days of childcare for two two weeks before I went back to work, which I think was really, really helpful. So she was settled um, and I kind of could build up her time so that she would do a full day by the end of the first week so we could take our time. Um, and you got some much-needed time to yourself before you went back I to the did. juggle. Yeah, and you know what? I've never achieved so much at home in such a short amount of time because <laughs> um, everyone's like oh you know you're going to take some time and do some things for yourself I think I deep cleaned the house and meal prepped and just it just was a chance to get everything ready before the chaos of work hit which I'm glad I spent that time because now like the freezer is stocked so basically during the week when it's a work night it's a freezer dive because um, basically I pick Hallie up Generally, I can get to her by about quarter to five at the latest. Um, and she's going to bed about 10 past six because she's wrecked. So it's just enough time to get home, get dinner into her, give her a bath, story, cuddle, bed. Yeah. Um, so I think that's probably the bit I struggle with is I feel like I don't see her on like four days a week. Um, but then it just makes the Friday, Saturday, Sunday time that we have together just that more much more special because we just cram all the cuddles and all the fun and everything we can do into one while doing all the life things like shopping and <laughs> that grocery stuff. You need someone else to do that until unless they enjoy it and then it's fine. But. Yeah, and actually I've just um, I found Click and Collect to be the best thing in the world, um, especially over here in South Australia. The shops on Sundays have just started opening up at 9 instead of 11. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, I know. Yeah, it's a game changer over here. It's great because um, I can basically put in a click and collect order Sunday night, have it um, ready to go to be picked up by nine o'clock Sunday morning, and we've picked up the shopping and we're home by five past nine, and it's and then we've got the rest of the day. So that's a game changer. Um, it's just all those little things you can do when they're asleep, isn't it? So you do your grocery order while yeah. they're asleep, and then yeah. Yeah, you can pick it up on the way home from daycare or something like that and don't even have to think about it yeah yeah and I'm lucky I I feel lucky Hallie is still having two naps a day um I'm gonna struggle when that drops I I think we're almost at the point where it's gonna drop um but she went through a a stage where she catnapped and I think there was a a day where her naps went she was doing nine minute naps (laughs) and I was like this is ridiculous mate like I can't I can't do anything in nine minutes. Load <laughs> of washing and that's it. Yeah. Yeah. So now she's pretty much doing like a a half hour morning sleep and generally an hour and a half, two hours, like just after lunch. So it's enough time. Fridays is basically our catch up day, and I try and nap with her because I'm generally wrecked by the end of the week. And then um, while she's asleep in the morning, I'll try and get the housework done on a Friday. So then we've got the rest of the week, the weekend, um, done. And I like I thought I was organized pre-baby. Now I feel like organization is key. <laughs> That's probably my my biggest thing is just making sure like the wheels fall off when we're not well, but I think they fall off to a point that we can still manage because we're organized the rest of the time. So yeah, I think that's how we've got through. 
And how are you finding the transition to being a working mum besides not seeing Hayley? Um, a lot. It's, a, it's very different to what I thought pre-baby. Um, I remember having a conversation, and I can't remember if I said this in the first pod, that the first episode that we did. I remember having a conversation with my boss when I was pregnant and kind of planning out Matt, Matt leave, and I remember saying, I don't know how I'm going to go on maternity leave. I've never had this big a break from working before. And I remember her saying, you know what, you, it'll be different. You'll just, you'll be so busy and so wrapped up in this little person that it, nothing else is going to matter. And I, I remember sitting at the time going, I don't believe you because I can't imagine it. Mm. Um, she was right that your priorities just change. Um, I, like pre-Hallie, pre-baby, I threw myself into work and work was such a big part of my life. Um, now it's still important, but it's not it's not my number one anymore. Um, I Like I still love what I do and I enjoy it and I wouldn't change what I do, but I just find that I spend more time than I would have before counting down the hours at work till I can go and pick her up. Um, it's just, um, yeah, work has become not even a means to an end. I think that's probably not quite the way to explain it, but a tool basically, um, to make sure that we can do what we want to do in life and not just exist. It's the enabler for your lifestyle. Yeah. 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 So, and it's more about, um, yeah, at the moment trying to work smarter to make sure that I can um maximize the time that I have with Hallie on the weekends um and after work so yeah like I'll often she'll go to bed and I'll try and spend probably if she like tonight she's gone a bit different we've got um this catch up tonight but normally she'll go to bed anywhere between sort of six and quarter past seven and I'll generally try and get myself to bed by nine um and the time between her going to bed and me going to bed I kind of have a list of things that I run through, like trying to, we've got to do her bottles, get a childcare bag ready, um, pull dinner out for the next night, get my lunches ready for work, washing dishes, all of that, like get the house semi-tidy so that we're not tripping over things in the morning. Um, but, yeah, those couple of hours before bed is just, I, I find it tricky because I'm, I don't, someone asked me the other day about downtime there is none. <laughs> We're not the personality type for downtime, though. No, definitely not. And I wasn't great at downtime before, but I'm worse now. And I think that's one thing I wasn't prepared for pre-baby is the amount of brain, like brain power it takes. Like you, are, you never switch off. Um, even when, you know, she's with someone that I completely trust looking after her, like childcare or my parents or my sister, like my family, you just, you never switch off because you're like, they might have her, but I'm all, and then planning, okay, what's she going to have for dinner? What time was her sleep? So what time is she going to go to bed? She's got to have a bath. What Ooh. can I organise in this time to make our life easier when exactly she comes Exactly right. Have we got enough nappies? Like where's the formula? Are our bottles ready to go? Like when's her next immunizations ready uh, like when or when are they due like just stuff like that like you just never switch off ever mine's more the get stuck death scrolling on uh, pinterest for birthday party ideas <laughs> that yes that is where we're i'm at now because that's coming up but yeah i just yeah or instagram. 
Yeah, or I like, you know, or Christmas or holidays or anything. all of it. Yeah. Yeah. And I think if I'm like my downtime, and I say that very loosely, is often spent on like social media, like Instagram, following other solo mums to kind of be like, oh, what have you got? What are you guys up to? And what tips can I learn from everyone else? Um, yeah. So that's you kind wouldn't of. Have it any other way, would you? No, definitely not. Wouldn't change it at all. Um, yeah, I can't imagine it. I can't. I just. I can't remember it without her here. So, yeah. And so, have you given any thought to expanding the family, or do you think you're one and done? <sighs> I always went into this thinking I would have two, mm-hmm. um, and I've kind of to and froed a lot over the last year. Um, eleven months. Um, I remember the conversation with my fertility specialist when he kind of confirmed my pregnancy through the clinic, and I guess discharged me from the clinic to my obstetrician. Um, and he kind of said, "Look, given the way that your body responds to IVF and your AMH levels, and just how how long it took to get this baby, um, if you're thinking of having another one, you should probably." do so fairly quickly um so that was a bit of a, a bit of a kick in the guts I think I remember sitting there going oh my god I'm not even you meant to be excited about the first one yeah and I was I remember still being so anxious about this pregnancy and like you know everyone says oh you get to 12 weeks and it's the safe zone I never felt that relief in Harley's pregnancy I I think I was nervous the whole I think a lot of people probably are but I just I don't think it hit until that moment that they pulled her out basically. And I was like, Oh, you're here. You're breathing. You're mine. I get to take you home. And even then in the hospital, I was like, Oh, do I really get to take her home? Um, But yeah. So I guess in terms of expanding, I would like to attempt a sibling for her. Um, I'm lucky that I have three embryos in the freezer um, and I have purchased three vials of sperm from the same donor as Hallie um so I made that choice I think Hallie was probably uh maybe six or seven months old I think I just kind of got to the point where I was like oh I'd like the option if I decide to um or not um then I can decide what I do with it so I've got three vials there which apparently will do three rounds of IVF mm-hmm. or three full cycles um so I think I keep changing the benchmark because initially I was like oh when Hallie's one I'll go back to the clinic and I'll have that conversation about starting the process or just kind of having that chat with them um because Hallie was a c-section my obstetrician basically said when Hallie's 11 months you could safely start having that conversation with the idea of starting to um, I guess pursue another pregnancy at about 12 when she's about 12 months and that's just to just, make sure you're healed and everything yeah yeah just to reduce the risk of um, like a rupture or anything if I were and if I wanted to attempt a VBAC um, versus a c-section so that's just more of a like a medical point of view mm-hmm. um, but now that she's here now that Hallie's here I I've tried to, like, before she was born, I tried to imagine what it would be like having a baby and having to, like, you know, someone to care for and all of that. And now I'm like, how would I go having a second with her being so little and managing again on my own? 
Um, so I think my thought, and again, like I said, I change this all the time, but at this stage my thought is when she hits sort of 15 to 18 months, I'll reevaluate and maybe then go back and have a chat with the clinic and look at starting again because I think if I was to fall pregnant in a smaller time frame than it took me to have Hallie, I'd be okay with that kind of an age gap. Yeah. So, like, if she was 18 months and I managed to fall pregnant on the first try, an 18, or well, it'd be a bit more than 18 months, it'd be almost two years, um, I could cope with that age gap. <laughs> <laughs> so that's my thinking. But then, it, like, I also go the opposite way, that if it doesn't happen straight away and it takes a couple of years like it did for Hallie, then I'd be okay with that age gap too. So, but I guess unlike Hallie, I've capped in my head, heart could take over later, we'll see, um, how many attempts. So depending on how the embryos are having the freezer go being defrosted for a cycle, ideally one of those would work. Um, but I've only purchased the three donor vials of sperm, so that's my limit. It's pretty hard to justify the the expense and the, it what it does yeah. to as well once there's someone else you're looking after as well. I know a lot of yeah. people were like, did everything for number one and then it's like, mm, that's taking money away from you and what we could be doing together. So, yeah. yeah, exactly right. And that's that's part of it too. Like for having Hallie, I had the flexibility of working extra hours to bring in extra income to pay for all of this. Um, I don't have that. Um, luxury I guess now that that option now um, is basically what I can save on and I'm on reduced hours I chose to go back 0.8 not full-time and pre-Hallie I was working full-time plus I was working weekends so I don't have that option or the option is there but I I don't want to do it I don't want to take away time from Hallie for something that's not guaranteed Um, and yeah I guess it's definitely something that crosses my mind and that's why this time I think I've had to put a limit on it because financially I feel like that's not fair to just keep trying and trying and trying emotionally as well. I still haven't kind of, I guess, I'm aware of how much it takes out of you um, physically, mentally, emotionally, everything, Um, but trying to do that with a baby as well and having to put her needs, I guess, above everything else. Um. Yeah, and I think I, at the end of the day, my thoughts on a second or well, a sibling, because oh, it could that's my other thought too, is it could also be multiples <laughs> and how we do with that. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I thought for a sibling for Hallie is basically so that if anything happens to me, she has someone. Um, and I know, like I've had this conversation with my sister and brother-in-law, I know that if anything were to happen to me, they have guardianship over Hallie um, and any future um, potential siblings and um, I one of my things is making sure that Hallie and her cousins so she has two cousins um, they're very close in age that they spend time with each other and they have that relationship so that if Hallie doesn't have a sibling she's got family um, I grew up with a sister and I think it's the best thing in the world having that that support network um if it doesn't happen we've got a village around us we've got amazing friends with kids the same age or similar age to Hallie so she's not going to be without a village um I guess it's just something that I'd like to attempt to see if I can do it for her really 
And thinking of siblings, have you considered donor siblings and who else might be around or done anything with that? Yes, actually. So we have been lucky enough to connect with a donor sibling um, who actually lives quite close to us. Um, uh, just managed to connect over Facebook. Um, Hallie loves this little person. Um, so the sibling that we've caught up with is a little bit older than Hallie, not very much. Yeah. Um, but just watching them together, they have, we've only caught up two or three times in person, but Hallie just, oh, I, I don't know. It's, uh, it's like they know. Yeah. Um, this little girl is just gorgeous around Hallie. And I, it was, it was really funny. The first time I met this little one, I felt connected to her. Like I kind of knew that there was a connection between her and Hallie. I, it's really hard to explain, but I was like, oh, yeah, you guys are you guys are connected. There's something there. Yeah. Um, and luckily for me, this little one's mum, she's a solo mum too, um, her view on connecting siblings is the same as me in that I think it's like great that they have access to that and it's really important for their identity and their well-being I guess um that if they choose to have that connection in the future when they're older that that connection is there um it was always going to be something that I spoke to Hallie about and if she decided to pursue it that's her choice um and I guess this way we've already connected and if these two choose to keep that connection that's their choice if they choose not to also their choice um I think the idea of donor siblings I remember going through the counselling process for going through the donor program and it wasn't really touched on. Um, it's probably something, I guess, I don't know, feedback for the clinic. I don't know how other clinics do it, but for ours, it wasn't really something that they paid a lot of attention to or provide a lot of information. It was kind of touched on that this there's potential to be like siblings to be out there. Um, the last contact I had with the clinic, and this would have been in maybe... October um as of May last year Hallie was uh, um one of 11 siblings or donor siblings um and I remember hearing that number and I was just like I just never really like I was aware of the limits and how many families the donor could help and how many children each family he could support to have but when you hear that number I was just like wow (laughs) <laughs> it's just it's a lot and there's potentially there's potential to be more um yeah and I guess there's no real clear pathway on how you connect to those siblings does South Australia have any sort of register because we've got in Victoria there's the volunteer register where you can go on and then if you've got the same donor get connected and they facilitate those initial connections yeah it's um our clinic has just started it's not really a, it's kind of a register, but basically we can put our details forward and if anyone else comes forward, the clinic can then share details if we've given them permission. Um, and because like, that's only just recently started at the same time that we connected with um, Hallie's donor sibling. And I remember when the clinic told me there was one other person on the, I guess, register for Hallie's donor. And I was like, oh, I think I already know who that is and I think we're already connected. <laughs> and they were like, oh. And when they gave me the information, I was like, oh, yeah, cool, we're already connected with them, um, but happy to keep in touch. So 
yeah um, with him on Facebook was it on a donor group on Facebook or just yeah it was it was where um so Hallie's donor comes through the Seattle sperm bank Mm -hmm. um and I had at some point last year I can't remember what it was it was one of those death scrolls on Facebook one night when I couldn't sleep and I'd come across the the Facebook page and joined um and I because I registered her birth through their their website and through that I was actually managed I managed to get more information about our donor than what I'd had through the clinic um which was really really interesting and I I've, I've got the information in an email to be able to save for Hallie but they they sent me an audio file of his interview so I could actually hear his voice and you hadn't heard um, that before. wow no and I haven't actually listened to it um I just keep putting I'm like oh yeah I'll do that I'll listen to it and then I just keep forgetting about it and I'm like oh it's almost something I feel like I want to do with Hallie because <laughs> I'm like oh that's that's part of her so it's just sitting there waiting um but yeah as I when I connected on this Facebook page um I wasn't really sure if I was going to stay on there because I wasn't really sure if I was ready to be connected with other families that had used the same donor and so I kind of just kind of just ignored the group for a bit and then one night I remember laying there I was like oh I'll just I'll just check. I'll just do a scroll and just see if anyone's like you can search your donor number, which I'd done previously, but it hadn't come up. And I was just about to go through the search function and I was like, oh, I'll just have a look on the page and see what the activity is. And someone had posted, um, it was Hallie's donor sibling's mum had posted a, um, put a message up and just said, oh, just checking to see any new users and if anyone has used donor number, blah, blah, blah. And I was like, oh, my God that's that that's us <laughs> and so I wrote back and I was like yep I have and we connected and we actually live like two suburbs away from each other wow. um so yeah we've connected we've met up she's super lovely um it was really good to be able to chat through our experiences of the clinic that we used um choosing the donor like how we both got to the same donor um and then obviously got our little people through that. And it was just amazing to be able to connect with someone that knew exactly what you had gone through. Like you can connect with other solo mums and people that have gone through IVF. But this I just found, it, I'm so glad I did because it was just, yeah, just something I was like, wow, that's just, it's just, yeah, quite a, new, a unique connection, I think. And then seeing the girls together, I was like, oh, that was worth it. <laughs> And they're so young, they can have that relationship ongoing. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, it's it's very, very special watching the two of them. Just, yeah, just the way they interact. Yeah, like I said, it's only been, they've only met two or three times and they just, I guess because they're so little, kids don't really have any of that. They don't come with any of that preempted stuff with them. But, yeah, they've got to I think they'll ha- well, hopefully have quite a special little bond. So if you look back now, is there anything you think you'd do differently over this whole journey to get your little precious one? No. <laughs> no, I don't think I would. Um, I think everything I did taught me a lot about who I am and what I can do. Um, and... I guess, how much I can go through to get to something if I really want to. Um, All the rounds that I did before or to get to Hallie, 
they like anyone that's been through it knows how hard it is, um, especially when you go through loss and multiple losses and even just having rounds that just don't work and you have your, your cycle cancelled. Um, there's just so many elements to it that you just, you there's no way to prepare yourself for, I don't think, or you can try and prepare yourself for it, but I don't think you ever really can until you're in the thick of it. Yeah. Um, no, I don't think anything, I, I don't think I would change anything because I think if I did, I wouldn't be where I am now and Hallie wouldn't be who she is. Um, there's definitely things that would make it easier, um, like, <laughs> finances mm-hmm. I think that I think but I think that's for everyone not just solo mums um but the cost of living I think is ridiculous at the moment um interest rates mortgages all of that we go through it's the same as other people probably I don't know I don't know I don't want to discount other people but I, I probably is it trickier because we're solo and we only have the one income um I think I wouldn't change being a solo mum at all. I think it's the best thing I've ever done. And it's almost one of those things I want to scream from the rooftop. rooftop. I think everyone should do it. (laughs) (laughs) Who needs men? Exactly right. Clearly we don't. Um, We do, but not. Just a part of them. Exactly right. Um, No, I've had a couple of conversations with people that are thinking about going down this path or potentially freezing their eggs because they're not at the point in their life where they they're not where they thought they would be and I think yeah I've said it to everyone I might just do it you'll regret it if you don't um like if you get to the point one day where you can't have kids and you look back and you go oh if only like if only I'd frozen my eggs or if only I'd gone through this process you can't go back in time and change it um you can do what you can do now um no, I, I definitely wouldn't change it. I'm, uh, I remember saying, I've said this only a couple of times to a few people, but I've never until now, I think, experienced being pr- so proud of myself. <laughs> um, just going through what I did and the toll it took, um, like socially, emotionally, financially, physically, like I feel like what well, I'm almost 12 months post birth and my body still hates me. <laughs> um, like I, it, my body hurts. Um, I remember sitting with a mum at uh, Mums and Bubs Pilates when Hallie was probably about four months old. And I just remember we were all moaning and groaning as we were rolling, trying to get up off the mat. And everyone was just like, oh, I hurt. And I was like, oh. God, is that normal? I thought it was just me. <laughs> um, I think because you are that little person's everything, you do everything for them, and then you have to try and look after yourself. Um, it's a lot. It's a lot, but it is worth every second. So, yeah, wouldn't change anything, um, and I'd do it all again if it meant having this little person. That seems like the perfect ending. Can't wait for people to hear this episode and the reflections before and after are going to be fascinating to listen to. So thank you so much for sharing in two parts. No worries. Thank you. I'm Alicia and this is the No Need for Prince Charming podcast, bringing you stories of Australian solo mums who created their own happy ending. 
If you like what you heard, please follow or subscribe to make sure you don't miss out on future episodes and leave a like, a review or share with your friends to help others find it easier. Bye for now.